0: I believe in Christ, he is my King, with all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue and
1: Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning
0: desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures.
1: Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder.
0: If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, Please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know
1: you can be mended.
0: Welcome back to Go and Do. We hope you had a good Pioneer Day, and that everyone is staying healthy and safe out there. Remember, we want this to be more than something you just listen to. That's why we named it "Go and Do." Let's learn something, share it with others, and put the gospel into action. This is Daniel, and this week, Feely and I discuss Alma 39 through 42, Alma's advice and guidance to his son Corianton about sin, the spirit world, and the judgment. This is basically—it's the third son. Corianton, and it's Alma. it seems like he has a lot more to say to Corianton than he did to even to Helaman, and maybe it's just kind of generally, here's what people need to know, and I'm going to tell them through you, but it seems like his son maybe had a lot of doubts and a lot of questions, and he wanted to clarify a lot of things for him that maybe up to that point he had misunderstood or had started to misunderstand. He wanted to kind of say, hey, here's here's how it goes, for real. But he covers quite a bit in the three, in the four chapters or whatever.
1: So I like at the beginning of 39, where you I was talking to Corianton, and it sounds from the reading of these chapters that Corianton is the youngest or near to the youngest, because there's a place where... Alma says to him, look unto your older brothers, you know, listen to them, you know, seek their counsel. And then in verse 2 of 39, kind of just tells them, you didn't heed my words, as did thy brother among the Soramites. Now this is what I have against thee, that didst go unto boasting of thy strength and thy wisdom. And it's funny that that's the first thing Alma mentions. It it wasn't his, you know, the story's famous for him running away with the harlot and committing sexual sin, right? But Alma says, this is my problem, is you thought you knew better and that uh, you could, uh, you know, that you had great strength and wisdom and that you were maybe impervious to these things and you could go flirt, get clo- as close to the line as possible. But You could you could live on the edge and, and you were strong enough not to fall, right, type of thing. Which I think is a very common uh, way, common temptation for all of us to think, oh, I can, I can watch a little bit. I can do a little bit. I'll be okay. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go get addicted to this i'm not gonna go you know you know that's of those are like famous last words and then he tells them in verse three and this is not all my son that did do that which was grievous unto me for thou did forsake the ministry and did go over to the land of syren among the borders of Lamanites after the heart of isabel so it's kind of like you were prideful in thinking that you were invulnerable you didn't do what you were supposed to be doing and then you went after what you should have gone after right so it's not like it's not like this happened in one event and he was gone you know it was like and i think that's a pattern for all of us like we we tend to boast of our own strength we think we can handle things uh and we don't rely on the lord and then Typically, we find ourselves in situations where we're not doing what we should be doing. So there's room to be doing what we shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? It's kind of like if we're busy doing what we should be doing, we're going to avoid a lot of these temptations.
0: It also kind of points out all these decisions being made, but there's multiple checkpoints, right? Where he could have been like, okay, I'm not going to go any further. I got to go. I got to change. I can't let this go any further, right? If you're going to start boasting of yourself, which I kind of imagine was,
1: we're here with
0: the Zoramites to set them straight, right? And I'm here with the with my dad and my brothers, and we're we're the righteous people, and we're going to set you all straight. And almost, you, you know, you took the kind of the wrong stance on that. That's what we were doing, but you can't go in there and be like, "Hey, I'm so amazing, I'm so strong, I'm so wise," and then. Start making poor decisions, because if you think about each major sin or even some of the small sins. There's multiple decisions being made that take you down that path. The Lord will give you multiple opportunities. The spirit will prompt you multiple times before it decides that you're not going to listen. Right. You have multiple times to say, I'm going to this is too far. I'm going to go back. And the fact that he didn't, the fact that he just kept going with that progression all the way through to the end, I think was really the the telltale for Alma to be like, look, man, um, it's it's bad enough that you were boasting of your own strength and your own wisdom, but that's not all, my son. You've, you forsook the ministry. And not only that, but you went with this Isabel, right? He's kind of saying... There's a lot of things here where you could have stopped yourself. A lot of times when you could have returned back and humbled yourself, but you just let it progress. I think that's a lot of the times what happens. We get in this this mindset of either I'm invincible or I'm a pretty good person, so these little things won't affect me. But decision after decision after decision, you find yourself in a completely different place.
1: Yeah, I like how the beginning of the lesson, it asks us to look through these chapters through 39 or 42 to see valuable ways. Um, well, it, at the beginning it says, when someone we love has made serious mistakes, it can be very hard to know how to respond. Part of the, what makes Alma 39 and 3042 so valuable is that it reveals how Alma, a disciple of Christ, who once had his own grievous sins to repent of, Handle the situation. I think one of the things that we there's two uh, I think lies or deceptions when we create when we do serious sins that I think we have to see for what it is and and combat those false false beliefs kind of in a way. The first one is, well, I'm not hurting anyone else. And that's, uh, that's a very common way of thinking. But I would say the inverse of that, one of the greatest missionary tools a Latter day Saint or a disciple of Christ can do is live the gospel. Yes. And be a good example. And as they do that, they influence people around them. It, it's, un, it's unstoppable, the, the influence for good you have. I think likewise, Alma is kind of telling his son, you did these things, and it hurt more than just you. Yep. And it says in verse 11, you know, he says, In the middle, behold, O oh my son, how great iniquity you brought upon the Soromites, for when they saw your conduct, they would not believe in my words. You know?
0: Because you made, him, you made him look like a hypocrite, Right all of y'all come in here to tell us how to be better, and one of you is doing all this nonsense, like, it it undermined the message, and that was probably absolutely devastating for Alma, who's like, now's our chance to come in and, and bring back some truth here, and then he's being sabotaged by his own son, like, oh, how devastating that must feel, not only to be sabotaged in his message, but That it's his own son that's doing it it's like oh my gosh why
1: (laughs) yeah i mean and because i i see that a lot i i see people kind of in our day mention things like well i'm not hurting anybody there's you know sins of omissions and sins of commission you know sins that you do because you're doing something wrong but you may not be hurting anybody but imagine what you could be doing right in helping people you know imagine that what you could have been doing instead you know and and it's funny and and so the second thing that i thought through these chapters as a as lesson pointed out what are some of the valuable ways or valuable principles that alma is using to teach his son and correct him from this path it's a hard thing because it, it, there's truth to it, and then there's also the atonement, you know, the fact that you can, that you're disqualified, you're, you're, you can no longer be clean, or, or you can never go back, you know. And, and so Alma spends the next two chapters speaking to him about the resurrection, the restoration, and this very important part where he says, I don't know what happens between this point and this point, but I'm assuming there's got to be a middle ground where these issues get ironed out, you know, where you go from this way to that way. And what I like the most is in verse 10 and 39, verse 10, he says, I command you to take it upon you to counsel with your elder brothers in your undertakings. For behold, thou art in thy youth and stand in need to be nourished of thy brothers." And give heed to their counsel. And then he kind of just tells them, this is what you did wrong, this and this. And these are very abominable things. And then he even goes into 14, not the riches nor the vain things of the world. And then he, and then, but when we fast forward all the way to 42, how much chapter 42, the last two verses, he says, Oh, my son, I desire that you should not deny the justice of God no more. Do not endeavor to excuse yourself in the least point because of your sins by denying the justice of God. And then he says in thirty-one, well, you can keep going on that one by denying the just but do but do you let the justice of God and his mercy and his long suffering have full sway in your heart and let it bring you down to the dust of humility? And now, my son, ye are called of God to preach the word unto this people. And now, my son, go thy way, declare the word of truth and soberness. So he's not cast off; yeah. he's done something terrible, but he he can still come back. and And there's several places where where Alma says to him, "Let this trouble you, so you don't do it again. But don't let it trouble you, so you become inactive, so yeah. you give up." and And it, I think that's really wise. and And it's kind of the way we should be viewing our mistakes, you know. Let it trouble you, and it should hurt, and you should feel remorse, and you should be ashamed and embarrassed, but so you don't do it again. But don't let it trouble you in the way that you'll stop going to church. You'll stop trying. You think you're cast off.
0: I think in verse 14 of 39, that seek not after riches nor the vain things of this world. It's interesting that, you know, this comes... When he's talking to him about particularly sexual sins, I mean, the riches we've heard that before, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then you can seek riches after that. But it's the vain things of this world that that really sticks out to me because um, it could be flattering words, it could be attention, status, status, all of that stuff where you're you're just getting caught up in people liking you or not or people approving of you or people um promoting you in some way want you know in today's terms i guess it'd be like going viral you want to go viral so bad you get caught up in the vain things of this world or or just random internet people's approval you know and it's like don't don't go after that stuff that stuff is meaningless and the big picture of things it might feel good because you feel like, hey, people agree with me and I might be on the right track. But really, he's saying um, you can't carry that stuff with you. That status is a worldly thing. It's only here. You know, that that attention you're getting from, from Isabel or from whoever else, that doesn't go with you. You know, that stays here. Um, it's very fickle and it's very very temporary. Um, just ask any of those people who, who their entire career is based off of you know either being going having videos or, or articles or whatever go viral. If they're not constantly producing something new, um, they fade away and they disappear. And how temporary is that when he's like what, what you need to focus on are the things that will bring you everlasting happiness. And it's not that stuff. What's gonna bring you everlasting happiness is following the commandments and doing the basic things that we've been teaching the Zoramites they should be doing. Do that and you'll be fine.
1: Yeah. Well he you know, he continues in fifteen, sixteen, you know, to kinda of say I would say concerning the coming of Christ, behold, he will surely come and take away the sins of the world. And he cometh to declare glad tidings of salvation to this people. And now, my son, this is was the ministry. This is what you should have been doing, is kind of what he's saying. Declaring glad tidings unto this people to prepare their minds, or rather the salvation that might come unto them. And it's funny because it seems like Coriantum has a doubt, or a question, or something that bothers him, and it's basically, why are we declaring these things now, when it hasn't even happened, when it's going to happen in the future, and in 17, he says, and now I will ease your mind somewhat on the subject, behold, you you marvel why these things should be known so long before him, behold, I say unto you, is it not, is not a soul at this time as precious unto God as a soul will be after his coming? Is it not as as necessary that the plan of salvation should be made known unto these people as well as unto their children? Is it not as easy at this time for the Lord to send his angels to declare glad tidings unto all his children? You know, and it's, it's great because what Alma is basically saying is the atonement, when Christ comes, the atonement is eternal and it will save everyone. Everyone before his coming and everyone after his coming, and God cares enough for us to let us know these things and prepare ourselves. And you know, and I would, I would think that this time the temptation might be to think, oh well, this hasn't happened, so nothing we do really counts or something. You know, where now the temptation in our day is this happened so long ago that uh, you know, you know, it's always one way or another, right?
0: Something that the the Sunday School manual points out is that. um, Well, it says. When people commit sexual sins, they often have feelings of discouragement or despair and feel they don't have much worth. And then it says what principles in Alma 39 through 42 inspire class members to feel hope that leads to repentance? And there's a quote in here from Sister Joy D Jones. This is. let me point out the need to differentiate between two critical words, worth and worthiness. They are not the same. Spiritual worth means to value ourselves the way Heavenly Father values us, not as the world values us. Our worth is determined before we ever came to this earth. God's love is infinite, and it will endure forever. On the other hand, worthiness is achieved through obedience. If we sin, we are less worthy, but we are never worthless. We continue to repent and strive to be like Jesus with our, own, with our worth intact. As President Brigham Young taught, at least, or the least, the most inferior spirit now upon the earth is worth worlds. No matter what, we, we always have worth in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. And I think that goes back to kind of that idea of doing things of this world. What is your worth? Can we talk about net worth. How much, how much is someone worth? The world has a very different way of evaluating a person's worth. What do they contribute to society? What job do they have? What education do they have? What do they say? You know, what words do they say? That's all great. You know, I think that in its own realm, that's important. But when it comes down to it, the grand spectrum of things, we are all of infinite worth as souls, right? And so even though someone's net worth may be $160 billion or It may be that they are in in the gutter right now. Their soul is not any more or less worthy or have worth. And when she's talking about worthiness, you know, it's like that's Satan's biggest tool is to, as soon as you commit any sin, doesn't have to necessarily even be sexual sin, any sin, he wants to convince you that your worthiness is tied to your worth. As soon as you aren't worthy to go to the temple anymore, then that means you don't matter and you might as well quit. And, you know, as soon as you stumble or fall, he wants to plant that idea in your mind that you're, you're not worthy of happiness. You're not worthy of people's attention. And he wants to tie those two things together. And she's saying that's not how the Lord sees it. Your worthiness can come and go and you ought to strive to be worthy of the blessings that he has. But your worth is always there. And that's what makes the atonement worthwhile, is he, he recognized I'm doing this because every soul
1: matters equally. You know, he's kind of, Hamma is kind of showing Coriancer, kind of explaining to him, Christ will come, the atonement will happen. And you're a little bit concerned that this is so far in the future, why, you know. But then he goes and talks, I really like verse uh, 11 on chapter 40 where where he says now concerning the state of the soul between death and the resurrection behold it has been made known unto me by an angel that the spirits of all men as soon as they are departed from this mortal body yea the spirits of all men whether they be good or evil are taken home to that god who gave them life and i really like that i i just it's one of those things There's not very much that we know of what happens after we die. We know kind of stages and principles and and states that may occur. But for me, it's really comforting that, you know, I'm going and I'm going back to my Heavenly Father. And from there, we'll break out into whatever is going to happen next. You know what I mean? (laughs) But it's interesting because he's kind of, this is a part, this is something that Orienter is, is wanting to know. Alma found this out by probably my prayer and fasting and, and an angel told him. But then we, we read later on where he says uh, in verse 21, well, in 20 and 21. and Now, my son, I do not say that the resurrection cometh at the resurrection. Behold, I give it as an opinion. That the souls and body are reunited, right? and then 21. But whether it is by his by at his resurrection or after, I do not say. But this much I do say that there is a place between death and the resurrection of the body, a state of the soul in happiness or in misery, until the time which is appointed unto God that all men should come forth and be reunited, both in soul and body, and be brought to stand before God and be judged according to the words. And so Alma himself, you can tell. He doesn't know every single thing that's going to happen, but he knows enough. He knows enough to say this is going to happen. The resurrection is a for sure thing. In between the death and the resurrection, there is a place prepared where you will be happy and one where you will feel remorse of mystery until the time is appointed for you to be resurrected. you know. And then if you go back to 10, he says, And when the time cometh that all men rise then shall they know that God knoweth all the times which are appointed you know? And so you can see that Alma has great faith. He's not dissuaded by the things he doesn't know, but he knows enough that he is comforted and can speak to these things and share them with his son and share it with us, right? Because we all need to understand these things as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting because that's always been question that people have had probably since the very beginning. What happens to us when we die? You know, and then those three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? You know, those are questions everyone has everyone, regardless of faith, uh, nationality, race, whatever time period. Everyone wants to know why? Where did I come from before I was here? Did I just spawn out of nothing? What's the purpose of this life? Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to have moments of joy? Well, what's the purpose of all this? And then what comes after this? Because no one comes back to say, hey, guys, this is what I went through. You know, that people have near-death experiences and stuff. And there's a whole lot of, uh, of maybe insight there. But at the same time, like no one can come back and say definitively, so I went through here. And then I did this and I did this and I did this. It's kind of all just their interpretation. And I think when we look at the scriptures and we get a chance for him, even the prophet to say. I don't really know how exactly things go, but. You have a resurrection and there's a space between death and your resurrection. And depending on what how you behaved here, you will experience that time period differently.
1: In chapter forty, he's really hitting home the principles of the resurrection that will occur to everyone at different times, and that in the meantime, there's this spirit world, is what we know it—spirit paradise and spirit prison, um, a place where you continue to progress, evolve, to teach others that don't don't have the opportunity, and to for yourself to work on things to get better at right. Um, But then in 41, he jumps into restoration. And he kind of clarifies with his son, um, just right off the bat at the beginning. I have somewhat to say concerning the restoration of which has been spoken. For behold, some have wrestled the scriptures and have gone far astray because of this thing. And I perceive that thy mind has been worried also concerning this thing. And so, you know, he's, it's not just him, but people of those times, and a lot of people have have wrestled with, and so what he kind of says, it's, um, for it is prerequisite that all things be restored to their proper order. Behold, it is prerequisite and just according to the power of the resurrection of Christ. The end of verse two, that the soul of man should be restored to its body, and that every part of the body should be restored to itself. And so then he continues to talk about how restoration doesn't mean that you're going to take something that's bad and turn it good or something that's good and turn it bad. Restoration means if it's bad, it will continue to be bad. And if it's good, it'll continue to be good. And what for me, what really stuck in my mind was this idea that sometimes we get this false notion that when we're resurrected or when we die, you'll be all right, you know, you know like that there's a, like a shortcut, like uh, you'll, you'll become a saint. It, once once you see Heavenly Father, once you see, you'll want to act, but you shouldn't be acting, right? And then it's not the case. He, he kind of says in four, he says, and if their works are evil, they shall be restored unto them for evil. Therefore, all things should be restored to their proper order. Everything to its natural frame, mortality raised to immortality, Corruption to incorruption, race to end, to endless happiness to inherit the kingdom of God, or to endless misery to inherit the kingdom of the devil. The one, on one hand, and the other on the other. The one, race to happiness according to the desires of happiness. So, what he's trying to, what I got gathered from this is he's trying to say, what your, the way your moral compass is pointed, you're continue to point in that direction, you know. And if you want to do good, if you've been trying to do good, you will receive goodness. You will continue. But if you have addictions and things that you're unwilling to change and let go, those same appetites will follow you,
0: you know? Or even like your way of thinking, your way of viewing the world isn't going to suddenly change. It might be impacted by the new information you have about uh, how the gospel works and stuff and when you're over there you may see missionary type spirits going to teach other people and stuff like that and maybe that happens but you, you're, you're not going to stop being you you're going to be restored to yourself again uh, your spirit will not have suddenly changed either good or bad right you're going to be the same person you were and the only difference with the resurrection is now you have an immortal body It's a perfect and immortal body. So if you had ailments, if you lost a limb, even if you lost your hair, I guess, I don't know, it says something in there about every hair. So so there's (laughs) hope, (laughs) Peely. Everyone will be restored to a a perfect and and, and immortal body, right? It says corruption and incorruption. But your soul, your spirit is the same as it was and your priorities are the same and your morals are the same. And the way that you, you think is the same, you're the same person. And so I think that's where it, you know, this, it talks about the misery of like the spirit prison side of things. I think the misery is really trying to grapple with a discrepancy between what you've done and what the truth is or how you see things and how, what the truth is. And trying to figure that out. Why did I act this way or why do I see the world this way when they're telling me it's another way? And how do I, how do I tackle that discrepancy? And that's, a, that's an emotionally and mentally taxing experience, I think. Because you're going to sit there and you're going to say, I thought I was doing everything right. Or I thought, you know, the sins I committed, those, that only harms me. Big deal. Yeah, I'm not affecting anyone else. And then you get to the other side and you're like, yeah, but here's the bigger picture. And you have to then say, oh, gosh, it takes in a tremendous amount of humility to basically go against a lifetime of behaviors and say, oh, I guess I was wrong, because there's definitely things that everyone is doing that they're excusing, that they're saying, ah, I do this right and so this thing's not that big a deal, and we'll get to the other side minded you know you could have done a little better on this and that
1: in in our religion we talk about eternal progression but I don't think we sit down and ponder very much what that would look like what kind of personality do I need to have and character attributes to continuously progress one you have to let go like when you receive new knowledge, be able to let go of older knowledge for the newer knowledge. You know, what was, what was right yesterday may not be right tomorrow. We want, we almost, we crave one constant, one answer forever. Okay. You know, and shun everything else and, and close our minds and our hearts. But that goes totally against continuous revelation and the principle line upon line, precept upon precept. We even have the scriptures give us the law of Moses, you know, and then the gospel law. And then we're told there's even greater there's the law of consecration. We kind of live a little bit of all of those.
0: Well, just to have that mindset of I always have to be ready and willing to learn more and progress. It's not a stationary thing where I've, I have achieved the highest point and now I'm good. There's never a moment like that. And when you're talking about eternal progression, yeah, that's constant eagerness to learn and to understand something even greater. And that's, that's a more complicated process than I think people realize. I think people think well I've been taught the gospel my whole life or after I joined the church I completely changed myself and now I'm good right and it's like you're good for what you know now but when you get greater light and knowledge you're going to have to get even you have to do even more we we also think of it as if I just you know eternal progression means the longer that I it's not like a job where the longer you're in that job, you'll eventually get promoted. If I just stay on here for 30 years, then I'll end up being the boss. That's not how this works, right? Eternal progression is a very active thing. It's not a passive thing. And it's not a thing that you can just hang out for the eternities and eventually you'll become promoted. You have to work for it.
1: Sometimes we make it a problem of quantity. We think once we know everything, like there's a one to a million. Once we get from one to a million, we've known all those steps, we're done. And the scriptures tell us it's not a matter of quantity. It's a matter of our, can you judge correctly to use the spirit to the situation you're in to receive revelation? What's the, the actual answer to whatever issue you're having? Because even it tells us in the scriptures, it is, it is not me that I should command in all things but be anxiously engaged engage in a good cause. And then, it, and then it also tells us in the Book of Mormon that there's ways to sin, the diverse ways of sinning that I cannot number them all, but I would tell you this, that you should, you know, you know the scripture. I'm butchering it. It's in Mosiah, I think. In Mosiah chapter four, verse 30, it says, but this much I can tell you, that if you not, do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds, observe the commandments of god continuing faith and in what you have heard concerning the coming of the lord even unto the end of your lives you perish and all men remember and not perish and right before that that's the future. and now i finally finally i cannot tell you all the things whereby you need commit sin for they are diverse ways and means even so many i cannot number. so even even the scriptures and the, and the prophets are telling us If you're worried about counting one through a million, you're not going to do it. It's impossible. You know, what you need is principles. And then when you're faced with that situation, you take it to the Lord. and He'll help you with the spirit and you'll come up with the best solution for your situation. And in one solution, it could be A. And for someone else, the solution should be B. And someone else, the solution should be C. Okay, and that's the correct thing for them to do. The problem is, is we start comparing. Well, if he did A, then I should be able to do A. We're on A team, right? Everyone does A. All the B people, you're not good. You shouldn't be doing that, you know? And we start judging, comparing, and throwing rocks at each other. And it's like, do we not believe in revelation and, and eternal progression? I thought it was interesting. What I was going to bring up before it was uh, verse 8 in chapter 41. I thought about this for a bit, and I i don't know. I have some weird opinions of what it means, but I kind of really like it. It says, and now the decrees of God are un- unalterable. Therefore, the way is prepared that whosoever will may walk therein and be saved. I, thought, I don't know. I've never, I don't remember ever reading that, that verse before until this time around. But it kind of stuck out to me, especially at the end, whoever w- will may walk therein and be safe. Meaning, after he's talked to Corianter and explained about this natural frame, immortality and corruption, happiness, uh, those that are happy will be raised in happiness and, and all of these things, then he kind of says, God's ways are unalterable. But whoever wants, to do it, he'll find a way to do it and they'll be saved. If you have the desire, if, if if you want to do it, there will be a way for you to do it, to change your nature. to And that way is the gospel of Christ and his principles, right? And the covenants we make. If you really, once this is laid out, if you really want to improve, then there's a way for you to do it. And that's kind of opposite to the way that we the way of thinking that we have nowadays. Or even in the past that we've had through history, that you're born into a caste system, and that's your lot in life. Or you were born with these defects or weaknesses or lack of talents, and that's it. Or you have one good talent. Instead of getting that one talent and making two, you bury that one talent. You say, no, this is all I have. I can't risk it. I have to just do this, you know? And there are several parables that should come to mind that kind of talk about what the Lord expects us to do with our talents or our characteristics or our attributes or whatever we have, right? We should work, you know, gain more, strengthen our weaknesses, strengthen our strengths, you know?
0: Well, in... In verse 10 of that same chapter, this is the famous one. No, I think it's Scripture Mastery. Do not suppose because it has been spoken concerning restoration that you should be restored from sin to happiness. Behold, I say unto you, wickedness never was happiness. We need to be careful with the places that we're looking for happiness. Are they places that will give, bring us eternal happiness? Are they activities or or things or people that will strengthen us? Or is it just brief moments flash in the pan ha i won the lottery this is joy you know and what comes after there's an inevitable fall right and then it's interesting because he goes on in verse 12 or in verse 11 it says you know my son all men that are in this state of of nature all men that are in a state of nature or i would say in a carnal state are in the gall of bitterness and in the hand bonds of iniquity. They are without God in the world, and they have gone contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, they are in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. And now, behold, is the meaning of the word restoration to take a thing of natural state and place it in an unnatural state or to place it in a state opposite to its nature? It's interesting because, you know, the, the ongoing discussion, you know, is is man inherently good or evil, Right? The philosophical are we are we by nature good or evil and here it's kind of like saying <laughs> if you're in a state of nature if you're giving in to the natural man you're going to do things contrary to the word of God that almost by nature we will become lazy we want to stray away from what God's teachings are and it's an effort it shows effort to be obedient and to be to avoid sin, it takes. It's not just something that you can naturally do, just doing nothing. I don't know. It, it was interesting because he's talking obviously about when you're restored back to your body again. Um, are you going to be restored from being a wicked person to being happy just because? Just because? And he's saying no. You'll be restored back to how you were, but he's also pointing out. Everyone who's in a state of nature and who's just like, Hey, just whatever comes to you is what you should do over time, even though they may have good intentions, will inevitably start to do things against the word of God.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think about the scripture in Second Nephi, I think chapter two, where Lehi talks about there are things to act and to be acted upon. And I think when you when given to your carnal appetites and show and don't exercise your agency to control them, you will never really become a, a prisoner to your appetites, and you lose your ability. Like it becomes much harder for you to act and not be acted upon. You know, it's kind of like someone cuts you. Oh, that person made me so mad that person. Well, it seems very uh, superficial, and it's not that big a deal, right? But enough of those, and you now have an anger problem, you know, and you don't see any way that you could have controlled your emotions and in your in your actions. It's always someone else did something, therefore I have to react this way. An automatic reaction. You punch me, I punch you back. Right? Um, and I think what we're meant to do is to use our agency and to act, you know. And so, even though chaos may be whirling around you, you still have your choices and your ability to act. It, it's kind of, I, I often look at people, you know, there was one story here in, in the Salt Lake Valley of, of a gentleman who ran across a homeless individual. And then he recognized them and they used to be one of his mission companions, right? I don't know if you remember this. But he kinda, you know, went out to eat with him and talked to him and did a whole thing, try to help him. And he even helped him try to get a job and all these things. And then inevitably he went back to that life again. Here's what I'm trying to say, and I don't know how to say it. I think sometimes our agency, by choosing you know, maybe a level one bad thing. It tends to lead to a level two bad thing. It tends to lead to a level three bad thing. And after a while, we're so entwined in there that we lose our agency. We become prisoners to our appetites. And then you deal with people that we look at and we say, hey, this person needs professional help because they're an addict or they're this or they you know you know and so what we what we forget is that at level one two and three you could have done something about it uh four five and six you now need help and at six seven eight you are institutionalized or you're a threat to everyone. right you're into like these people who, you read them on the news and you you just hit yourself on the head and you say, okay, high school t- coach tries to uh, trick his student into doing this or that or that. Oh, and it's the seventh time. Oh, and then you find out. And so then you find, and you're like, how does this happen? Do you go from zero to there? Or are you in six or seven where you're losing your rational thinking, losing your agency? You know, and, and I think that's where I think about when the, he says, I will find you up with strong cords.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's really kind of what I was saying about what, what Alma is telling Corianton about. You had all of these opportunities to get out of that way of life. You had all these opportunities to change. You had all these instances where you could have stopped yourself. And I think, really, in my personal experience, when I know I've done something wrong, my immediate guilt or the feeling of, hey, that's not right. That's a first checkpoint. And if I ignore that, continue, then the spirit might hang around a little bit longer and be like, dude, what are you doing? You know, you know this isn't right. You should change the channel or you should stop doing this. And if I continue... He might fire one off, one more warning, you know, to be like, I'm taking off if you don't stop this. Um, and that, you know, I, I'm oversimplifying this, of course, but I'm saying, like, there will be multiple opportunities where you have the decision to change, where you have to literally make a decision to continue. And so many times we don't detect those those checkpoints and we allow ourselves to go too far. And then, like you said, at, at a certain point, we find ourselves so far down that we need someone to come and and course correct it with us. Um, sometimes that's talking to the bishop. Sometimes that's talking to a friend or a parent or a you know family member of some sort or whatever um, that we need to have help to lead ourselves on the path again. But I think it, it's interesting how many times I personally have experienced. Those checkpoints and Heavenly Father saying, I'm not, I'm not done with you yet, but if you continue down this road, I can't, the Spirit can't stay. You know, and if you continue to make those decisions, yeah, you're going to find yourself doing some pretty crazy extreme stuff. Um, if you say, I'm going to, OK, that's enough. I'm done. You're right. I'm done.
1: I'm- well, I also think we should. I, I believe that when you're doing what's right, the Lord will protect you. Meaning like on your mission, you knock on a door, somebody opens it and they are half naked or whatever. You know, it doesn't take much for you to move on. You know, like for your mind to move on, you know, not linger on it. You know, you're, you're kind of like protected. You run across things. You know, people say things, you see things, we, we saw some terrible things in Chicago, you know? And it, it's like no effect. You're good. Because the Lord is with you. You were doing what you're supposed to be doing. Things just happen. And then there's a total different thing where you go out of your way to get as close to the line as possible. And I think the decision for you to distance yourself from the Spirit begins in your mind long before you've taken action, yeah. you know? And by the time you've taken action, sometimes you're like, well, well, I don't feel bad anymore. And it's like, well, because you load your senses about 15 hours ago when you started planning this out. You know? That That's when you felt bad. By the time you're here ready to go, uh, of course you don't feel anything now because he's gone, you know? And you've been justifying all the ways that you can do this, and then you want to make it as if it's God's fault. Uh, if you didn't want me to you know, smoke this joint, you wouldn't have made marijuana, right? Or, or whatever, right? right. Well,
0: the thing is, that when Elma's talking, he puts these two things right next to each other. Talking about sin with his son Corianton, and then right after that, talking about the afterlife and the resurrection. And there's the reason. I think he's saying it's bad to sin. You should avoid it. You should try to be worthy. Here's why. Beyond just what you're experiencing in this life, there are eternal repercussions for not following the commandments of God. And I want you to be happy. And I want you to experience what it's like in this, to have that peace and that happiness on the other side. And to be with, in the presence of God someday. I don't want you to have to go through what I went through when the angel came and struck me down for three days and I was racked. right? I've been there. I know what that's going to feel like. I don't want you to experience that. Now is the time to change. Wickedness never was happiness. There's no better source for that to come from than Alma, who's like, "I, I did all of that stuff. I know. Don't do it. Don't fall into that right? And I think his message to us years and years and years and years later is you don't need to um, have an Alma the Younger moment to appreciate um, the peace and happiness of the Lord. He's warning us, don't even go there, right? Because a lot of people think, oh, well, when I'm young, I can do this and that stuff, and then I'll repent and change and become a good person and and then I'll I'll have an idea of what it's like. I'll have that world experience or whatever. And it's like he Alma went through all that and he's telling us straight up, don't even bother. That's not worth it.
1: And also I think people think it's like that quantifying way we that mortal way that we like to count things. We think that his three days or two days of suffering, oh, he suffered for two days to pay for so maybe I'll suffer for five or ten. I could hold out for a week, maybe. You know, I'm tough. No, he wasn't suffering. To him, it wasn't three days. To him, it was eternal. It was eternal and it wouldn't have ended ever unless he cried unto the Lord, you know? And so and that's the thing that he's trying to say. It's sometimes people think, oh three days, you know, uh I've been on vacation with my in-laws for two weeks you know that's nothing you know yeah it's not a time thing like we think it's time he suffered eternally um until he it was just like he wanted to disappear the intensity was and that was just his sins can you imagine the savior for the sins of everyone you know like <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy i think um 41, the last two verses, 14 and 15, are two of my favorite verses in the Book of Mormon forever. And he's kind of speaking to Coriantum about, in 13, about the word restoration, bringing evil for evil, carnal for carnal, good for good, righteous for righteous. right? And then he tells them, therefore, my son, see that ye are merciful unto your brethren. Feel justly, judge righteously, and do good continuously. And if ye do all these things, then shall ye you receive your reward. Yea, ye shall have mercy restored unto you. So the first thing he's told to do is be merciful to others, so you can have mercy restored unto you. And ye shall have a righteous judgment restored unto you, and ye shall have a good reward restored unto you. For that which ye do send out shall return unto you again and be restored. Therefore, the word restoration more fully condemneth the sinner and justify him not at all. And and I would say, I would add one line. If I could add a line to the scripture, I would say, and rewardeth the righteous. You know, and because he's basically kind of explaining to him, have good karma, my son. Treat others with respect, and respect will come back to you. To be kind and merciful, don't judge harshly. Take your time in dealing out judgment. Judge wisely, and then when it's your turn to be judged, you know what? They're gonna judge you wisely. They're gonna, you know, the Lord's gonna look at you and say, you know, tell me all of the angles here. What? Why? You know, this and that. You know.
0: Well, and the whole next chapter is about exactly that. It's about justice and mercy and how the lord has to stick to justice if he didn't he would cease to be god it says in verse 13 and 42 the work of justice cannot could not be destroyed if so god would cease to be god basically saying he has established these rules and these laws for a reason we have to there is there must be justice but there's also mercy and when you do what's right and when you're obedient and when you allow the atonement to work in your life, then mercy can be instituted upon you as well. And I think that you know, when in, at the end of 41, when he's saying, you know, be merciful so that you can have mercy, he's really also saying, um, keep in mind that you that both justice and mercy are necessary. And while the Lord eventually will judge you based on your actions. He will also be merciful unto you based on your mercy towards others. And that's crucial because I think a lot of times it's really easy to point out, well, this guy does that and I'm not that bad. And this person does this. And wow, I can't believe how evil people are today. And it's like, well, what about you? What are you doing? We love throwing the book at people. That's not right. You know,
1: we punished for that. Okay. Lock this person up forever.
0: Yeah. Throw away the key, you know, and it's like, okay, all right. That's really easy. That takes zero thought. Broke a law, throw away the key. Okay. well, he's asking us to be just as merciful, right? Not allow everything and anything and everything, but also don't be so quick to just throw away the key. Understand that everyone has something going on and that you need to be merciful to others so that he can be merciful with you.
1: So I I like kind of how you mention that, because that makes me think about justice and mercy. That made me think about justice and mercy. We'll, we often think about, we'll, we'll receive one to avoid the other, you know? Yeah. Or you get that one, and you don't get that one. But I think, in my opinion, I think you get both, you know? Justice is you get measure for who you are and what you've done. Mercy is applied based on your disposition and how good you did, how genuine you were, whatever good you were able to make out of things. Meaning you cannot fool God. Justice doesn't allow you to fool God. Mercy allows him to, okay, you are here. Do we all agree? Do you agree? Are you penitent? humble enough to say you are in a bad spot and you need help and you're willing to do whatever it takes even if it is being obedient are you willing to be obedient are you willing to repent are you willing to change your way of thinking then mercy because Christ you're going to go follow him you're going to go to summer school you're going to go Whatever he tells you to do, you do it, all right? Yes, okay, okay, then you can have mercy. But I think sometimes, like our judicial system is very much about not what's right, it's what can be proven and what you can get away with, type of thing, you know? And we think sometimes we'll be at the bar of God over there, and you'll have your lawyer come up and, well, my objection, my defendant, he never had a father. Well, is that gonna fly? Well, it's all kind of like the Holy Spirit of promise, you know. This You cannot lie to the Lord. Even if you've done all the right things for the wrong reasons, it's not going to count. And even if you didn't do any of the right things, but your heart was good, you're going to get the opportunity. You're not going to miss out because you were born somewhere else or you were born during a time that the gospel wasn't on the earth. You know, you're not pre-damned. The ignorance, we're told in this book, Ignorance is taken care of by the atonement. Those who died in ignorance, they get the opportunity. They'll have their chance. Um, and so, that's where I see justice and, and mercy. That they work together. One cuts you to the core and tells you the truth of the path and how it should be. And the other one searches you out and says, "Do you still want to walk this path? And are you going to do it with real intent? And if so, then." welcome on board but if not then this one is the only one you get
0: i'm very grateful that um we've been told not to judge because it would be next to impossible to account for everything you know when we when we look at a situation we say well that that person's just a bad egg you know that person's just they're just bad they're evil well what do they know what do they not know? What's their experiences? I, I am so glad that it's not up to me to decide. I'm so glad that we have an, an omniscient God that can knows everyone's situation personally and can say, yeah, you know what this looks bad, but I'm going to account for the following things you know And yeah. he can be the one to make that judgment because gosh, that would be, it would be so hard to even begin to, to process that.
1: I was going to share that scripture. I finally found it. It's in 2 uh, Nephi chapter 9, verse 41. And I think it just really hits to what you just mentioned about, like, who's the judge, you know? And, and he says, Oh, then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One, and remember that his paths are straight. Behold, the way for man is narrow by but it lieth in a straight course before him, and the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way, save it be by the gate, that he, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. And that to me is such an image, like, in, in especially tied with the other scripture where, in this chapter where he says, uh, straight away, once you die, you're taken home to that God that gave you life. And who, who's this person standing there? There's no other way in. There's only one way. There's a gate, and he stands there. He's the one that goes through the atonement. He's the one that has felt everything, the injustice, everything, the sins, everything. So he can say yes. You know, he can judge. It's very different than the way we we have leaders in our day, right? <laughs> we have people who they think they know, they pretend they know, they try to connect with people, but they don't really know. Even and even if even if even your family doesn't really know everything you've been going through, and you're close to them, the Savior actually knows. He doesn't know kind of what it's like. He knows. He felt it. He's been there. And that's what makes him the leader he is. That's what makes him the perfect judge. That's why he can dispense justice and mercy perfectly. And one doesn't rob the other. you know. And that's the only way. You know? And
0: I, I think that um, despite all of our weaknesses. You shared it earlier, the last verse in 42. When he tell he reminds Grant and you are called of God to preach the word unto this people. Just because we've committed sin or just because maybe we're not living perfectly all the time doesn't mean that we're no longer being asked to be representatives of God and. To change our ways to, to better represent him and to be examples to those around us you know the, the hymn says we're all enlisted till the conflict is over right you're you're in it we're in this world part of this this fight good against evil and if you've fallen if you've gotten injured heal yourself you know allow the atonement to work and allow yourself to to take a time out and and get better and then co- come back to the fight because good and evil is it's never going to stop you know and uh, we've all been asked to be a part of the good side and to combat the evil that's out there. Even a the kid who maybe had gone a little bit astray with Cory Anton. He'd done some stuff that his dad had to basically sit him down and say, you have to change this now. I need you. They need you. The Lord needs you. The message is to us. It's to his son, but really I think it's to us too. That's why Mormon included it, because it's like, yeah, this is great advice from a father to son, but what great advice is this to each one of us as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, right? We're all called to preach this word. We're all called to do this and. It doesn't matter what what, what we've done. Uh, the atonement is eternal and the atonement. Has all the power to, to help us get back on the path again and to be effective again. And I think that's such a beautiful message from these chapters.
1: Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about what what a weird thing we do with the gospel. Like we we believe in it, that it changes people's lives and it puts you on a path where you can continuously progress and you can repent and that Christ's atonement is so powerful. If you have the desire, it doesn't matter what you've done, you can overcome it with him, right? But as soon as one of us falls or we make a mistake, we think this medicine's not for me anymore, but you continue to take it. Everyone else continues to, it's just, uh, I'm out, you know? And, and, uh, you know, in my mind, I was having this whole little skit of like these salespeople that sell vitamins and like these vitamins are like, as long as you take these, you'll never get sick. And then you get sick, and then your your person buying them says, "What happened?" He's like, "Well, I stopped taking them." And, and then they would say to you, "Why don't you just start taking them?" Oh no, no, it's not that simple. And it's kind of like we make it so complicated. And I, I was like,
0: "Yeah, we either treat ourselves like we're somehow different, and it doesn't work the same way for us, or even worse, we see someone else stumble." And we say, well, I guess I thought that guy was a really great guy, but I guess you never know people, right? And we write people off, and it's like, what the heck? Maybe maybe he just did stumble. Maybe he needs help. Maybe he stopped taking vitamins, you know, and it needs some encouragement.
1: It's funny. You know, our kids, they're... You look at them at their age and you think, oh, they're doing good for their age. They're where they should be. Or, no, for a four-year-old, you really should stop peeing the bed. Like, we you to work on this. You, know, you can't just, you know, pee pants all the time, right? And, and you know that and you can, there's a problem. But as a parent, you know where they're headed. One day you're going to be running, you know, uh, a very complicated satellite system that's going to, help the bees grow. I don't know. Something ridiculous, right? But you need to master, when you need to pee, come to mom and dad and you go to the bathroom. And so we see this incredible potential where they're going to do complicated things that are more complicated. But at their level, it's incorrect to give them all that information One, they won't understand it. And it's also incorrect to get really frustrated at them and be like see now you'll never be the astronaut i need you to be and, and they're like what what are you talking about you know what i mean and it's like i don't know i vision like our heavenly father looking at us as if we are little babies just like well i need you to learn to be obedient okay yeah 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 but i want to know like how much time is there in between when they open the gate from spirit prison to spirit paradise? Like, I, I need to know. Like, is it, you know, and you're, listen, you just need to be obedient, Okay?
0: How about you, get, then, you pay 10% of your increase? How about you uh, take the sacrament whenever possible? How about you just be a good person and don't judge everyone around you? Start there, and then, then you'll, you'll eventually know the rest of it you know of course all the knowledge is there for you but let's let's master these simple basic things first
1: well we want a whole plan presented to us from a to z and let us assume it entirely and it's like you cannot consume it there are plans like that you know already close things like that like hey here's 24 books And you'll know everything you really should know about astrophysics. Here you go. Go consume it. Who would consume it? No one. We, even complex topics, we learn line upon line, little by little. And sometimes you have to go learn other topics to better understand this one aspect of this topic. Kind of like when you have generals in in school. So you kind of can, now you have what the alphabet is. Now you can learn about the letter M. But in order to learn about letter M, you needed to know where all the letter other letters stood, so you have like a reference point. And and we think we want we want religion to be like give it all of us, give it all, and, and so we can look at it. And and there should be a there should be something that tells every situation what could ever happen. And it's like that's not because it's a journey, it's a path, you know, and it's tailored to how we're designed, none of us can digest infinite knowledge with our temporal minds. And so we're given a little bit by a little bit. And I think that's also why we have the veil, not just so we have um, freedom to use our agency for truly for ourselves, but also so we can focus on what we need to be doing right now especially when we're told that this time is just like a little pinprick. You know, when it's all said and done this time, it's just a little spark in the eternities of where we are and where we're headed. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what He would have you do, your power to trust Him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that He has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel
0: at all times and in all places, that the spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear
1: brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me.